0: Let's get bored. Back in the day, there were limited ways to get in touch with the host of a radio show.
1: And for those of you who'd like to give us a call, uh, we will answer the calls as they come in. The last project we did, which was about digital privacy, we had 45,000 people sign up. You didn't just get listeners to call
0: you. You got them doing all kinds of different tasks, things they didn't want to do.
1: I've been practicing leaving my phone at my desk. Hello. I'm Manusha Marodi. I'm the host of the podcast Note to Self, it comes from WNYC Studios at New York Public Radio, and I have been a journalist, a broadcast, and now podcast journalist, since 1995. God, I'm old, and I'm going to give you a masterclass on engagement and audience interaction.
0: Hello, and welcome to the masterclass. I'm Louisa Lim, and I teach journalism at the University of Melbourne. Each week, we're going to have a master of audio journalism talking through one aspect of the craft. This week, we're talking audience engagement with Manoush Zomoradi from WNYC, who revolutionized how we relate to our listeners. Back in the day, there were limited ways to get in touch with the host of a radio show.
1: And for those of you who'd like to give us a call, um, we will answer the calls as they come in. Call one 300 774 or text 0437-774-774.
0: But all that changed with Manoush's Board and Brilliant Project.
1: I'm Manoush Samarodi, and welcome to the Board and Brilliant Project, where we are rethinking our relationship with our phones and jumpstarting our creativity.
0: So, Manush that was back in 2015. And yeah. You didn't just get Listeners to call you, you got them doing all kinds of different tasks, things they didn't want to do, like putting away their cell phones, deleting apps, yeah. uh, changing the way
1: they relate to technology. I'd been a journalist with the BBC, and then I had done media consulting for a bunch of nonprofits like Human Rights Watch and the Council on Foreign Relations here in the U.S. And then I went out to lunch with an old friend of mine from ABC News here in the States, the AB, American ABC. And I said, you know, you really should be covering more of the tech economy that's happening here in New York City. This was in 2012. And he was like, well, why don't you come and do a thing? So I'm like, all right, I'll come do a thing. So I ended up doing a weekly little spot on the radio, on WNYC, so locally, about the tech economy that was happening here at the time. And this is just when podcasts were really starting to take off. And the station people said to me, you know, you you sound pretty good. And we need more women. <laughs> but yeah. Would you be interested in making a podcast version? And I was like, okay, sure. So that was really in 2013. But it took me... A year of starting to understand how podcasts are different than broadcasts, and to understand that the the casual sort of warmth and the relationship that I, as a podcast host, have with my audience had to be cultivated. So I had to find my voice, get rid of my sort of broadcasty voice. And I had to realize how how much they were relying on me to help them. When you listen to the radio, you get the news. But when you listen to a podcast, it's about you and your life in many ways. And so all that's a long way to say that it was in the fall of 2014 that I sort of had this epiphany that I was not really living up to my greatest creative potential and I was looking for the reasons why it occurred to me that I was spending all my time on my phone that whenever I had a spare moment when I was in the you know waiting to get my coffee or waiting to pick up my kids I was always looking at my phone and I wanted to know what was happening in my brain when I was always looking at my phone I realized I was never bored I wanted to understand what happens in our brains when we do get bored, or what what would happen in our brains if we never get bored because of our devices. So I kind of reached out to my audience and I was like, Are you guys worried about this stuff too? And the response I got was extraordinary. It was a tsunami of people saying, Yes, I am feeling this too. I didn't have a name for it. I didn't know how to talk about it. And so that led me to think, like, well, what if we tried a week of experiments, like you said, where we try collectively to change our habits very very small tweaks to our behaviors for a week and we see if we can reclaim some of that boredom and it will make does make a difference to our creativity let's see it was an experiment totally and so when I put out the call to people you know will you sign up 20,000 people signed up to do this and I just well first of all it was very gratifying when people entrust a week of their lives to you to make changes. And then, you know, I felt like it was my responsibility to not only make it, of course, educational and, of course, intellectually satisfying but I thought it was really important that this also be fun because the last thing I wanted was sort of like you should put down your phone you know (laughs) like I hate it when people say that I I wanted it to be fun and interactive and I wanted to feel like people were, were like I wasn't telling them what to do we were on this sort of week of discovery together and and it really felt like that. So I just want to go back to
0: one thing that you said, your relationship with your audience. I mean, why do you think it's different
1: in podcasting than in broadcasting? I think it's that it is not passive. They have chosen me at that moment and when are they mostly listening to me when they're on the go so i go with them to the gym i go with them to the grocery store it's a one-on-one thing and so i think there's a a relationship also you're mostly listening with earbuds and i think that makes a difference too i'm sure you know intimacy is the word you always hear related to podcasts and i just think it's true people often say to me I think of you oh it's my friend (laughs) Manouche. and no one ever said that to me when I was a radio
0: reporter. (laughs) Right so I mean coming back to the kind of tasks that you were doing Mm. you said that you wanted to make it fun. Yeah. And you wanted to kind of go on this journey together Yeah. and I think we have some sand from how you prepared people for that journey.
1: Okay. Here's what some of you told us as you prepared for this week. To prepare for the week of being bored and brilliant, I have been going on a cell phone binge and <laughs> getting my fix as much as possible before the challenge begins.
0: I haven't done much to prepare except download the app, and uh, I've been looking at it every so often and, and crying over my terrible usage statistics. I've been practicing practicing leaving my phone at my desk when I get up to do things around the office. How did you go about sort of incorporating the listeners into that challenge and getting them
1: to talk to you in this way? So multiple ways. We'd been sort of dabbling with this a little, but this this was the right way to do it, was to ask people to use the voice memo app on their phones to record their thoughts and their insights. And what we sort of built was a feedback loop. It's a content feedback loop, which is that's – got to come up with a better phrase for that. But in any case, a very specific question that gets put out to them on the podcast by me, also in a newsletter that we created, we did instructions because at the time, people actually weren't that familiar with their voice memo app. It seems kind of crazy. They were used to call-in shows, though, like using their phone. So this was like we would say, like, there's a little app, record yourself – email it to us, you might hear yourself on the phone. We asked very specific questions, we asked them to send them in, and then we started incorporating them back into the content of the show itself. And I think what I like about that is that it can sound like we're almost our own little focus group together. The other thing we did, as you heard one of the people mention, was we partnered with an app, which sounds kind of funny that we were asking people to use their phones less, but we also asked them to download an app. So we could say, you know, if you want to be one of our data quantifiers, download the app. You'll be able to see your time on the app. But you can also opt in to share your data anonymously with us so that we can track the progress that we have collectively over the week. And we had 7,000 people agree to share their data with us anonymously.
0: And I did that, and I was just horrified
1: at how much time I was spending. I, I it is quite I just had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that was what was so interesting, too, is, like, I think we're trying to change how people perceive what they do every day. So one of the things that they realized was, like, oh, I don't know, how much do I pick up my phone every day? Like, I'll give myself as an example. I was, like, I don't know, like 30 times a day. But when I downloaded the app, the app told me I was checking my phone upwards between 90 to 110 times a day. And I think that's where the science started to kick in. We asked people, the, the researchers and the academics, about the sort of reflexive, physical implications of having a cell phone with us at all the time. And the way, again, that the apps... And platforms are built to trigger these physical reactions that we have that actually we don't even notice. It was cool to hear people like going through this journey, you know, like having sort of digital epiphanies and then sharing them with us. It's very powerful. And it
0: was. I mean, for me, there was a challenge where you had to keep your phone in your bag and it killed me. I didn't, really realize, hard. didn't realize how much I was looking at it. And maybe I'll just play a bit of one of the challenges that you set, how you kind of set them up, how you got people to respond.
1: You can use your phone as usual today, except for one thing. Don't take any photos. None. Think it sounds easy? I think I would feel rather lonely either not taking or receiving a photo for a day. My memory is shot, so I use my phone as kind of a memory aid meaning I take pictures of things that I need to do later in the day, my parking spot, where I've left important things. One of the things that
0: this whole feedback loop did was create this kind of bored and brilliant community.
1: Yes. That was something that you set out to do? No, no. This was just an experiment. This was a problem that I wanted to solve for myself, that my listeners told me they also wanted to solve, and that I thought... That's something we can do together and learn along the way. And what happened, though, after this week, exactly what you say. It turned into a community of people who were thinking much more I guess, critically and analytically about the role of technology in our lives on a very personal note, but also collectively. And meanwhile, since this project, we ended up rebranding the show. It was originally called New Tech City. And I realized like, no, that's not what this show is. This show is about, a, it's an interdisciplinary approach to tech. It is about integral basics of our society that are being upended and people feel unmoored. They need a guide to our accelerating world. And that is what I could provide.
0: But it's interesting to me that not only did you do the podcast, you did the newsletter, which seems kind of like a low-tech way yeah. to um,
1: communicate with your audience. What role do you think the newsletter To tell you the genesis of the newsletter, it was part of the project. The idea was that for one week, you woke up every morning, there was a newsletter waiting for you and a mini podcast. And the podcast explained the science and tech behind the challenge that we had in the newsletter. The idea was that you were with us in multiple places, right? But then we saw that people really liked the newsletter and they were like, well, you got to keep this going. So we transitioned it into a weekly uh, accompaniment to the podcast. It's different than the podcast. We tell you what the podcast is about this week too, but what else it is, is it's a letter from me, what I'm thinking about, some of my favorite things that I've read this week and the team's favorite things that we've read this week. And you're right. We try to make it vivacious. We try to make it funny. We want you to be like, yeah, it's Wednesday. Oh, look, Minosha's in my inbox. Cool. What should I be thinking about this week?
0: So that was one thing that I did want to um, talk to you about is that kind of personal touch, Mm -hmm. the role of the podcast host yeah. in not just building this community but kind of taking it on this journey with you I guess you did that quite consciously by talking about your own challenges with the challenges that you were setting your audience yeah and the biggest example of that was your struggle to delete this game the two dots oh my god
1: this game was killing me I okay so what you're referring to is this little like it's kind of like Candy Crush but it's pretty and beautiful and I was never a gamer and I was realizing that whenever I was tired or stressed out instead of, you know, pouring myself a glass of wine, I would play this game. But the game is optimized to make people continuing to come back over and over and over again. And <laughs> I still do play this game, unfortunately. However, you know, it's well, a I was, constant struggle. <laughs> I was going to play it. You have know, an yes, embarrassing clip. Yes. Oy. I'm going
0: to play the moment that you deleted that game. This is
1: killing me. All right. Here we go. Ready? I'm right. pressing down on my apps. They're all jiggling, which means they're ready to be deleted, but only... I have to do it. It's a right... I have to do it. Look at that X. It's just calling for you to hit it. Hit that one on the left. i move. Yes! You did it. How do you feel? Nauseous. Really? No, I really feel nauseous. I feel sad. Do you need a hug? Maybe, yeah. Okay. Thank you. You're going to get through this. You need to leave now. Okay. I need some alone time. <laughs> I did it. Now you. Delete that app. Take it off your phone. Let's see what it does for us. Right now it hurts. But I think it's going to be worth it. That was not acting, by the way. Like, that was totally genuine <laughs> sadness that I... I had this relationship with this dumb app and um, getting rid of it was really hard. And to hear thousands of other people be like, yeah, I felt that way about Facebook or I feel that way about this news app that I can't stop refreshing or I feel that way about, I mean, all kinds of apps. Social media was definitely the biggest one. For
0: a podcast host, how much of your yourself do you have to give? Mm. Do you think it's important to have those personal, intimate moments? Or can you have a relationship with your audience if you don't reveal some of yourself?
1: I mean, I think it's crucial. And it took me a long time to accept that, to be honest. I mean, my background is similar to you, Louisa. Like, I was with the BBC. I was with Reuters. And what do you do? You report the news. And you are you're, you're irrelevant. This is the news. You simply are the conduit from which the news gets from where it's happening to your listeners' ears. And I got a producer, I'll give her a shout out, executive producer Jen Poyant. She and I worked really hard to get me to a place where I felt less performative and just that whenever I got in front of the microphone, I was just me. It's weird to talk about this without sounding kind of hippy-dippy about it, but it it was about accepting that I was the proxy for the audience. I think it, it lends itself to the topics that we cover as well. But I think the difference is, you know, I'm, I'm just like you listeners, except I happen to have access to these amazing researchers and academics and radio team. And you guys are busy listeners. You have jobs and families. And, and so I can be here for you on this one. So I really have to ask because I did
0: this as well. I mm. deleted my <laughs> the app that I was wasting time on. What was it? Lumosity. Oh, interesting. Because you can kind of tell yourself, I'm training my brain. And I really like, there was one exercise that you did with little trains where you have to put them in the right stations. it was very satisfying. It was so satisfying. But honestly, I was spending quite a lot of time on it. And I have not put it back on my phone. I have not played it since I deleted it. So tell me.
1: (sighs) (sighs) Okay, so I fell off the wagon, actually, (laughs) when I was going to Australia, of all places. So... Two things, Lumosity had to pay massive fines. I don't know if you know that because their, ad, the, their advertising was that they were making people's brains better and there was no scientific proof that it was. So. so it's good I deleted it. Well, I would say that I think the question is of self-regulation and that is what this whole week ended up being. If you can say to yourself, I'm going to play 10 minutes and I really enjoy the trains being put in their little <laughs> digital slots and, you know... That means I can skip my gin and tonic.
0: Which is all to say that you are playing
1: two dots. Oh, yes. It's that how, how
0: much? How often do you play? I tell you.
1: I mean, I have a little bit of an addictive personality, I think. <laughs> so I know that I'm really tired when I gravitate back towards two dots.
0: So when it comes to the whole experiment, I mean, it was a huge success. Here's what you said at the time. Yeah.
1: Over 18,000 people signed up for Bored and Brilliant. And the feedback that we've gotten all along has been so incredibly moving. I did not expect to start tearing up whenever I read the comments section. And wow, certain challenges really spoke to people.
0: I think one of the things that was so interesting about this project was the way that it did change the way that people act. I'm going to (sighs) play some sound. I found myself inspired to pull out a notebook and start writing a poem on the train
1: yesterday. I don't think I've ever been inspired to write a poem in my life, let alone on my commute.
0: I've taken your challenge to heart and deleted a whole bunch of apps from my phone.
1: It's been a challenge to resist the call of my phone, but I'm enjoying it a little more each day. And I haven't checked Twitter in about six and a half hours,
0: I think. It was such an interesting thing to do because Mm -hmm. what you were doing was quite profound in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, how have you let that experience change how you interact with your audience
1: now? I trust that they trust me. And I cannot ever take that for granted. It's a, it's a tricky line, right? Because on the one hand, we are tight, me and my note to self-listeners. But I don't want it to be a click, you know? I don't want it to feel like if you suddenly discover the podcast that you don't feel welcome or part of the in crowd because you don't know what I'm referring to. So it's an interesting sort of dance to make sure that I'm speaking to the people who are right there with me, but also like welcoming people who are maybe new to some of the ideas that we have or just happen to listen. And I I want them to keep coming back. You've continued to do all kinds of audience engagement activities. And
0: there's a Uh recent episode where you built a ghost bot. Yes.
1: We've come up with a little way to remind you with a bot. Yes. A bot. So listeners in the United States, you can text the word ghost, G-H-O-S-T to 70101. That's 70101. And um, and then we're going to follow up with a little text message nudge. So tell me a
0: bit about mm. this ghost bot. I mean, what does it do? And I guess my other question is, do people take up challenges when it's not a whole week of challenges, but just kind of discrete one at a time. How does that affect the way they
1: behave? This was an episode that we did with the relationship psychotherapist, Esther Perel. God, people love this episode. She was talking about different words that you hear, ghosting, simmering, icing, I'm not going to go into what they mean, but you should go back and listen to the episode. But this idea <laughs> that like the way people treat each other online and what that means for real life relationships, and what we asked at the end, and this was an idea from the show's senior producer, Cat Aaron. She was like, "What if we asked people reach out to someone who you've ghosted, somebody that you were supposed to get back to, but you kind of didn't, and it's kind of gnawing at you?" And she's like, "Well, what if we just built a bot that like would text them? You know, we asked them to." text us. And then a week later, we, we followed up in the nicest, least sort of nagging mother-in-law kind of way. Like, did, did you do it? Like, how'd it go? And so with bots, you know, there are bad bots, but they're also good bots. And I love using the technology that we talk about and dissect on the show and then putting it to work. I love that meta aspect of it. So if you responded, I didn't do it, the bot would text you back like, <laughs> that's cool. Maybe give it a try today. The last project we did, which was about digital privacy, we had 45,000 people sign up. Wow. Yeah, which is cool. With the tech spot, you know, it was lower key. With the ghosting, I think it was 1,000 people signed up. When we do the big projects, it's a huge lift. I mean, it's massive. The privacy one was called the Privacy Paradox, and... We also did one called InfoMagical, which was about dealing with information overload. We built a whole bot system that helped people through the day. And uh, and one day, this is really cool, actually, the bot said, do you have a story you want to tell, Manoush? And if you texted back, yes, your phone would ring and it would be me saying, hey, leave me a message. Beep. And I got 1,700 voicemail messages that day.
0: Wow. It's cool.
1: That's great. But what a lot of things to listen to. I know. But if people are going to take the time to tell me something personal, I feel that I owe it to them to respect that. And I read all the email and I read all the tw- tweets and I read, listen to everything. I can't get back to everyone, but it really, really does inform what we make and how we make it.
0: Do all podcasts have to have audience engagement? What would you tell someone who is thinking about Mm. starting a podcast? Do they have to (laughs) build
1: it in or not? I would say, like, look, we are the extreme. This is extreme engagement that we are talking about. You don't have to do that. You have to find your thing, right? But I do think in an era of social media... And also what we know about podcasts, which is the number one way people find new podcasts is by word of mouth. And so between that and social media, I do think there has to be an element of not just making something and pushing it out into the world, but developing a conversation around the content. You don't have to be across like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of them. Find out who is your audience really? Like who are the people you think are most going to benefit from what you're making and make sure that they are benefiting. Ask them. Talk to them. Maybe that's having a, you know, happy hour one night at the local bar and just saying, you know, if you guys want to hang out or putting out a survey or there's so many different ways that you can engage your audience. And, and they appreciate it. And it makes your product better. So are there kind of two big takeaways
0: that you can offer
1: mm. to people
0: starting off? Don't just put it
1: out in the world and hope for the best. Refine, get feedback, refine, get feedback. Think of your podcast as a startup. You might have to pivot. You definitely want to disrupt some conversations. All those cliched techie words should apply to what is essentially a mini business. That's what a podcast, starting a podcast is. Oh, that's such a great takeaway. <laughs> I think you have a task for us. I do have a task for you. Okay. I think personally that the voice memo function on your phone is underutilized. Email five people with a specific question. And it can't be a yes or no question because you know journalism students. You never get back a good answer if you ask yes or no. Ask them a question that you would find useful when it comes to developing your idea, whatever it is you're working on. You could use the audio, you know, get their permission first, obviously, or just use it to hear what it sounds like when people tell you something. It's different than when they email you back via text. The sound of people's voices will make you understand what they really mean and will be super useful as you move forward with your work.
0: Oh, What a great task. Thank you so much. Thank you, Louisa.
1: This was super fun. It was fun. Do you want more coffee? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) The Masterclass
0: is produced and edited by Louisa Lim, Buffy Gorilla and Ruby Schwartz. It's recorded by Gavin Neighbour at the Hallwood Recording Studio. The original concept is by Anders Furz. The music is by Susie Wilkins. It's all brought to you by the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne. This is our last episode for now. We hope to be back with a second season soon, but thank you for listening.